So our second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, and you can find it on page 1177 in the Church Bible. So Ephesians chapter 5, page 117 in the Church, uh, 1177 in the Church Bibles. We're going to be starting uh, from verse 3 and going through to verse 21. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word. Lord, we pray this morning uh, that your spirit uh, would fill us so that we can hear your word more clearly, or that we may be changed and live changed lives in light of the transforming light of Christ. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let therefore, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because, these, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, you can find a sermon outline in the insert in your service sheets if you want to follow along and write notes, but do keep uh, that passage open in front of you. And let me ask you this morning, who are you? Who are you? There's any number of ways that we can answer that question, isn't there? We could say our names. I'm Callum. We could say what we do, our our profession. I'm a pastor. Maybe you're a a doctor, a lawyer, a, a student, a teacher. We could say where we're from. European, African, Asian. 
in some cultures, and even in this country a while, until a while ago, the answer to that question would have simply been, I'm the son or daughter of this person. And people would probably know who you are by whose child you were. And today we see that Christians are also to be known as children. As such a radical change happens when somebody becomes a Christian that their entire identity is transformed. That change of identity then affects everything about them. And over the last few weeks in Ephesians, we've seen, haven't we, that our life could be described as a walk. And Christians, because of everything God has done for them, live a new walk. Last week we saw the change of self being described as a new self put on where the old self was taken off. This week, Paul changes the metaphor again and instructs in verse 8 that Christians are to walk as children of light. Children of light. And so today, we are looking at what has happened to Christians to make them children of light and how it changes them. Being a child of light changes everything about us. So first, what has happened to you? You're now children of light, which means that you were once in darkness. Look at uh, verse 8, the first bit of it. At, At one time, you were in darkness. Now you are in the light of the Lord. Paul here is explaining that the old way that these Christians were living was against God. And as God created the world by speaking light into darkness, so he rescued his people by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to be the light of this world for his people. Paul is once again showing that the, the transformation that has happened to these Christians is rooted in what God has done, those first three chapters of Ephesians. Remember in chapter 2, where he said, we were once dead in our trespasses and sin, cut off from God, unable to fix our relationship with him. But he says, now we're alive in Christ. Well, this is what has happened to you if you are a Christian. You were once in darkness. Now, You are in light. You are light. The light of Christ has shone. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our wrongdoing and sin. It means we're plucked from the darkness and adopted as children of light. As a child of God, you become a child of light. How does this change God's people, though? What is this change that has gone on? Well, Paul uses the example of sex in this chapter. Paul uses the example of sex. The new community of the people of light, the new community made out of God's new people, would have a radically new and different attitude to sex. Look at verse 3 of me. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints, God's holy people. There's to be a new standard among God's people. 
He's writing to a, to a church in, in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city a lot like our own, right? It was a port city. It was a melting pot of ideas and beliefs and religions. But the one thing that was very, very clear in this city was that it loved sex. It was a sex-obsessed city. Right at the, the center of the city was a temple dedicated to a god that the worship of that god would have involved sexual acts. Sex saturated the culture. Men, women, boys, girls, slaves, free. Just people fulfilling their sexual appetites, often the powerful, preying on the weak. But Paul says, this isn't how God's people are to act. No, you're children of light. So you follow, uh, you believe that God's gift of sex is to be enjoyed by his design. And not immorally, not impurely, not with covetousness, the, the Tenth Commandment against jealousy extending to coveting somebody else's body, someone else's spouse. In fact, the new standard is so high that these things shouldn't even be named among you. That's not uh, never, ever talked about and just hushed away. No, it's, it's saying it just shouldn't be present. Even more so, look at verse 4. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Better be replaced with thanksgiving for God's good gift of sex. This is the high standard that, that God's people are called to. And any sexual act outside of a man and a woman in a loving marriage, any sexual act outside of that is immorality and must not even be named among you. Not a hint, Paul is saying. So use of pornography, a flirtatious and suggestive behavior, they have no place in the Christian community. God's design for God's good gift. Paul's saying this is an example of how you are to now live as children of light. Imagine it maybe a bit like this. If you were once given a, a present of a shiny new set of tools, right? Uh, hammer, drill, etc. Uh, how good are they going to be at telling you what time it is? You're going to be left uh, confused, aren't you? On the other hand, if you try uh, to hammer in some nails with a wristwatch, you're going to really struggle, aren't you? Because those things aren't designed uh, for those purposes. Paul here is saying that we're to follow God's design for his gifts. This is the new standard, so contrary, radically different to the world around them, and radically different for us today, to the world around us. Paul highlights the, the consequences, though, of not following God's design for his gift. And this is confronting stuff. You may be sitting here thinking, this is pretty extreme. At verse 5, for you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Confronting stuff. Let's start with what this is not saying and then we'll see what it is. It's not saying that your sexual history cuts you off from salvation. The Lord Jesus welcomes us as we are 
including our sexual pasts. And he calls us to follow him. So maybe uh, you're a believer here today, and uh, before becoming a Christian, you live the way our world expects. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're thirsty, you drink. If you're turned on, you have sex. Just one more desire to be fulfilled. It's not saying that you're cut off from salvation. And it's also not saying that if you struggle with sexual temptation, then you're out. That's it. You've blown it. There'll be many here today who struggle with this. In a culture where sex is used in advertising, in it's on TV, it's in films, there are podcasts about it, novels, and there's such misuse and distortion of this good gift out there. A temptation will come, but we need to be quick to resist it. It's not saying you're cut off from, tempta- from uh, salvation if you've got a, a sexually immoral past. It's not saying that if you struggle with temptation, you're cut off from salvation. What it is saying is that those who are persistently sexually immoral, who are greedy, are covetous in their sexual appetites, have given into idolatry, and therefore there's no place for them in God's kingdom. As Paul has previously described uh, the Gentile walk, their old walk, as one of hard-heartedness and callousness, so too it is of idolatry and rebellion uh, to be walking in the darkness of sexual immorality. And the consequence of this unrepentant sin, the consequence of not repenting for sexual immorality, is that they'll have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Contrast this to all that Paul has been saying in the letter so far. Compare it. He's been giving thanks to God for them having an inheritance, and giving thanks that they're made heirs, sealed with the Spirit, sat down with Christ, Paul is effectively saying, if you're living in unrepentant sexual immorality, it's evidence that you are not included in this. And he applies it then in verses 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. He's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Remember who you once were, darkness, and now you are light. Therefore, don't be deceived and don't become partners with those who deceive. So in the world of Ephesus and in our world today, there'll be people in our churches and people in our culture who... Uh, say Christians should stop being so different about sex, so weird about uh, all sorts of things, but certainly they'll say it about sex. They'll say, have a string of sexual partners before marriage, because try before you buy, am I right? They'll say, you should just have sex. You don't know what you're missing. They'll say, does God really say Marriage is only between a man and a woman, and sex is only for marriage. They'll say, well, Jesus doesn't say anything about homosexuality. You hear that one a lot, don't you? These are empty words, and they're set out to deceive. 
the consequence of such false teachers, for such false teachers within the church, is that they will face the wrath of God. They will face the wrath of God. God will not tolerate those who teach falsely and those who lead his people astray. Believers will not face God's wrath. Because remember back in chapter 1, they have a sure inheritance bought by Christ dying for their sins on the cross. But being a false teacher, someone who will teach and lead others into sexual sin, they are not sons of God. They're sons of what? Disobedience. Proving themselves to not be believers. So perhaps you've seen what's been happening in the Church of England this week. We'll dedicate a lot more time talking this through as a church family at the next uh, Prayer Plus, 22nd of February. Do put that in your diary. It's a, a Wednesday evening. Even if you don't normally come along to growth groups on a Wednesday night, please do uh, come along. But you can be assured, Marcus, other gospel ministers, myself included, we've met with our bishops. We've written to our bishops and done what we can to seek that they do not lead the Church of England down this path. But we must be obedient to verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So we're going to be having to make make many tough decisions. And faithful churches all over the country will be making tough decisions in the coming weeks and months to ensure that we're not partnering with any who refuse to call sin what it is, and who seek to change the Church of England's doctrine and practice to say that God blesses sin. So do come along to Prayer Plus on Wednesday evenings, 22nd of February. We'll be explaining more and we'll be praying together as a church family. What is the ultimate reason for this radical change and this necessary separation? It's verse 8, isn't it? For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. You're no longer who you once were. You follow Jesus Christ now, the light of the world, and he's now your boss. You're his child. So maybe think of it like this. Uh, Prince George, it is fair to probably say, doesn't behave like a typical nine-year-old boy behaves. I don't know if you have many nine-year-old boys in your life. They're known for being silly and publicly so. But when he does get silly, publicly so, he probably gets told, remember who you are. You are the heir to the throne. Well, it's the same for us. When we are tempted to conform to the patterns of this world, let us remember who we are. We are light in the Lord, not darkness. Participating with false teachers and their lifestyles is inconsistent with who we now are in Christ. So who are you? Light, a child of light, rescued from darkness. You now look different. And Paul's saying that's basically nowhere more clear than in the area of sex. But how does this change us? How does it change you? as we go out into the world this week. Paul's instruction 
is that we're to walk in light. Walk as children of the light, the end of verse 8. Believers here are encouraged, essentially, to become what we already are. You are light. Walk as light. Sounds a bit contradictory, doesn't it? But in Christ, it's saying that believers already possess like every benefit of Christ's work. As we've seen all throughout Ephesians, though we haven't yet fully received all of them. So our lifestyle is to conform to the reality of being that new person in Christ. It's going to look like light shining in darkness. Look at verses 9 through to 14. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and true, verse 9. Paul is saying that once you have received new life in Christ, God's power at work in you, it produces new characteristics that make you look like God himself. So the fruit is good and right or righteous and true. And so we're to verse 10, try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So as those united to Christ by faith, it is the new goal of our life to please our God and master in all circumstances. And to live this way requires wisdom and knowledge of God. Imagine you were having a conversation with a friend or colleague about life goals. And you said to them, Uh, I would like to live this out. I'd like to just be faithful to God, following him. Can you imagine what the person's going to say? They're probably going to turn around and say, well, uh, is that it? What about having a a nice big holiday or something as well? A -a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Don't you want to be successful at work or have a family where you're proud of your kids? Paul's saying that's almost too small an ambition. They can come second to pleasing the Lord and bearing fruit of that. So walking as children of light, it requires us to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, verse 11. But what are we to do instead? What are we to do? We're to expose them. When Jesus describes his followers being sent out into the world, he refers to them as light going out, shining. Wherever God has placed you, in whatever circumstances, pleasing him. Not taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Certainly not entertaining sexual immorality. But living such distinctive, everyday lives. The people in your context look at your life and say, there's something different about you. It wouldn't surprise me if there are people here today who first ever thought about Christianity because a friend or colleague had something distinctive about them, lived differently. In fact, the distinct Christian life is actually going to expose darkness. The Christian, by their words and conduct, is going to live so differently in a world that has gone astray that their wrongdoing will just be challenged by your actions. Now, this doesn't mean that we go into work tomorrow and we immediately sort of start telling everybody off. You know, you're living unfruitful works of darkness. Pick it up. But you will stand for justice. You will behave rightly. And you will challenge what is wrong. 
So when folks start to gossip about somebody else's love life, you're not going to join in. When folks at work talk down to someone in order to get themselves ahead, you won't join in. When people are tempted to flattery and sucking up to the boss, you remember who you are. You are a child of light. When other parents start boasting about their kids, you're a child of light. When you get recognized and praised and affirmed, you're a child of light. So you're not bragging, humble bragging, boasting. You remember who you are. When bonus season isn't what you were expecting, you're a child of light. Paul offers even more reasons, verses 12 and 13, and he applies it to their lives. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But verse 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. As we go out as light into this dark world, we have to be conscious that we ourselves, we're not hypocrites. That the Christian community is not falling into the sexually immoral behavior of this world. That's why sex scandals are so tragic in the church, not only because they're grievous sins, not only because they do untold damage to victims, but they also bring real shame on the church as well. If speaking of certain sins brings shame, how much more is it engaging with them? And Paul isn't saying that we don't ever verbalize them. You see, if you're struggling, then just shush it up and push it away. No, he's, he's emphasizing exposing sin rather than hushing it up. He's trying to get across just how evil the nature of these sins are. But in contrast, when anything is exposed, it becomes visible. And more than that, it becomes light. The light not only exposes the sin, but transforms the sinner. The light not only exposes the sin, but transforms the sinner. Those who accept the exposing of the light, accept the correction of God, and they become light themselves. So, you know, when the moon moves from behind the shadow of the earth and the light of the sun shines on it, it reflects that light, basically lighting up the night sky, becoming light itself. Paul illustrates this in verse 14. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says... Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's a sort of hymn that was used by the early church. It it makes allusions to loads of Old Testament references. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. He's saying, don't stay in your disobedient ways any longer. You've died to sin. Don't let it enslave you. Walk, obeying Christ, and his light shines on you. You have the empowering presence of God with you that directs, encourages, sustains, and helps your walk. So light shines in darkness, in our own life, and as we go out as light in this dark world. The final instructions, then, in this passage, sum them up as watch how you walk. Watch how you walk, verses 15 to 21. There's three contrasts here that Paul highlights. Verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then verse 17, don't be foolish, 
but understand the will of the Lord. And then verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. As we go out into this week, we should watch how we walk, wise but uh, not unwise. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, for the days are what? The days are evil. Paul's saying, take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way. Don't simply sit back and say, well, I'll avoid being evil and that'll be fine. But no, use your gifts and your grace to glorify God. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The present age is one of darkness. The world is one of darkness in desperate need of great light. So use every opportunity. Verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. God has made his will known. His moral purposes are revealed, but we still need to understand it. So we have to be diligent in applying it to our lives. It isn't simply enough to intellectually understand God's moral standards, but we have to live them out. You could read as many books as you ever could want to about trekking in the Amazon rainforest. But how much will you understand what that is really like until you go there and trek through yourself? You see, Paul's saying, understand God's will means living it out. And the third contrast, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Slightly differently put, Uh, Rather than being filled by wine, be filled by the Spirit. All throughout Ephesians, the Spirit is the means by which we are filled with the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, this isn't saying uh, that being filled with the Spirit means you're going to behave drunkenly. And so if you're going to behave drunkenly, do it with the Holy Spirit rather than with wine. No, it's saying if you're going to be filled with anything, don't let it be wine and drunkenness, as is the way of darkness. And given that in the times that Paul is writing, drunkenness was used in worship of pagan gods, it's emphasizing that it's God's spirit alone that enables us to worship him alone. And so while there may be some here today who need to watch their drink, who need to repent of drunkenness, who need help in getting that sorted, there may be people here today who have one too many, who do use it to take the edge off. The main emphasis is that our walk together is to be one of worship by the power of the Spirit. Just quickly, we'll look at the consequences then of this walking by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. Uh, There are four in this passage that show us what a church with Spirit-filled believers will be doing. Can you spot them? Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you know when we sing, we're not just singing to God, but to one another as well. 
as we meet. There's a horizontal togetherness. So let's sing loudly. As we sing, we encourage one another. We build one another up. There'll be people who find it very, very difficult to sing. The circumstances of their week, so terrible, so difficult, so hard, that standing and singing praise to God feels so unbearably difficult. Sing louder for them. Next, it doesn't stay horizontal. Together, we sing to God, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The Lord Jesus is our saviour, our rescuer, our redeemer. Even though our singing encourages one another, the object of our worship is God Almighty. And third, we're to give thanks. The spiritual believer is always giving thanks. How and for what are in verse 20. We give thanks always and for everything. So even in times of trouble, difficulty, suffering, who are we giving thanks to? Look at verse 20. The Father in the name of Christ. So the spirit-filled believer is always giving thanks for everything to the Father in the name of Christ, the triune God at work, producing this thankfulness. And then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The final verse, 21. It's really a heading for the rest of the chapter, setting up how Paul's going to move from instructing the whole household of God to instructing households in the immediate sense, husbands and wives, etc. So, who are you today? A child of light, plucked from darkness, and it should be nowhere more clear in your life than the area of sex. You're to live in the light, walk in the light of Christ. You yourself being a light that shines. Your attitude, your words, your actions bearing witness to the light that you carry. Watching at all times how you walk. You make the most of every opportunity. Can you imagine what that would look like as a church? As if we took that on? How seriously we would fight against sexual immorality. How readily we would talk to each other about hidden and secret sins, bringing them into the light. Because we know that light shines on darkness. And how deeply we would encourage one another to walk with integrity, walk with the light in our workplaces, in our schools. When someone says there is different, something different about you, you point to that light You as a spirit-filled believer, living out all things with thankfulness to our holy God. Let's take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit now, show you just one of these areas uh, that he can put his finger on today and can bring into the light. And then we'll continue our service in prayer.